Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Eurowatch. Money FM 89.3. It is drive time. Elliot Danka, Timothy Go, and Chua Tian with you. It's time now to take a look at headlines out of the European region. The BRICS 2023 summit underway in Johannesburg, South Africa. Heads of state of Brazil, China, India, and South Africa all attending in person together with significant trade delegations including Russia. Yes, the Russian President Vladimir Putin is attending by video conference, though. The BRICS summit expected to be a key moment in plans that could ultimately challenge the G7 group of nations in global economic and geopolitical influence. Let's find out more from Antonio Fatas, Professor of Economics at INSEAD. Professor, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, doing okay. How are you doing? Very good, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to help us out with this, starting off with the BRICS summit. Um, How will Russia and Ukraine be looking at this event differently, perhaps as a way to cement international relationships? They're both looking for the same thing. They're both looking for allies, support for for their side. Um, I don't think this is new. I mean, we've had a war now for, for months. And, and they both have tried to, as much as possible, to find allies on the political side, to find people who can either buy their oil or trade with them. And every time there is an international meeting, um, they're trying to play the same role. And, and, and it's a complex business because each of these other countries also have their own allies and they're getting sort of messages coming from many places. So it's very hard to, to predict who will, who will do what, but, but clearly both of them are trying to achieve the same goal. Yeah, you know, looking for allies, especially when the bloc is home to 40% of the world's population and a quarter of global GDP, BRICS nations have agreed on mechanisms to expand this. So this paves the way for dozens of interested nations to join. What would Vladimir Putin be thinking at this point, economically? I mean, he's thinking of power. What else? There's nothing else he can think of. Um, but uh, I mean, from my perspective, I see this a little bit as a as a very uh, sort of a strange initiative. Uh, I mean, BRICS, the, the group of BRICS countries, has nothing in common from a political economic point of view. Uh, it, it just doesn't have a clear meaning. If you talk about the European Union, that 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 has a meaning to me. BRICS doesn't have any meaning mm. to me. It's a, it's a group of countries. That, that they think they have a common enemy, which okay. is the West, yeah. uh, the advanced economies. I'm not sure that's a good reason to start sort of a, a group of countries. And to me, this is not sustainable. Uh, the, the goals of China, the goals of India, the goals of Russia are very, very different. That is true, Prof. Uh, at the same time, you've got you know Putin renewing his call to increase the use of local currencies for trade. What does this, does it even mean anything for the greenback? I mean, it means something. Is is you can you can marginally move away from the dollar marginally mm. at a cost of efficiency because you need another currency. Yeah. It is not just about abandoning the dollar. You yeah. need something else, and there's nothing to replace it with. So alternatives are costly. They're costly to countries, which means you must do this for a political reason more than an economic one. Now, if you are Russia and there's sanctions because of your behavior. That's obviously, that's the only thing they can do. They cannot access dollar payments, so they need an alternative. But if I'm another country like India, it's like, why would I do this? It would come at a cost. I trade a lot with the West as well. So it is unclear to me that I'm going to force something which from an economic point of view is going to cost me money. 
All right. Professor, still on the topic of Russia, we have the Wagner Group mercenary chief, Yevgeny Prigozhin, leading that short-lived mutiny against the Kremlin in June. Um, apparently presumed dead after a plane crash in Russia. Also comes today after the Wagner boss posted his uh, first video since uh, the Russian mutiny, hinting that he was in Africa. What do we know so far about this uh, plane crash? How has it made waves? You know, I think it's obviously from a political event. This is a big shock to the Russian political situation. Yeah. It, it, is not, uh, it is not a recipe for stability, of course. Could it be that this is true that has happened? Possibly. Not the first time that Putin has tried to eliminate some of his enemies. But we saw it when there was sort of the, the small military coup that they led. But things are not that stable in Russia. I think this war is eroding the support for Putin. So you could imagine instability coming out of this event. At the same time, we don't know very well what is happening in Russia because yeah. we don't have a lot of information and Putin will spin the information in whatever way he can. Yeah, the uh, general who was the Air Force chief was also removed because of a mutiny-related disappearance. I mean, it feels like there's a bit of a power struggle here that Putin is dealing with. It is not easy to be an autocrat. It is not easy. Like, you need to have enough friends. You need to make sure that people support you. And he's not delivering for Russia. The the Russian economy has not done well for many years. And when your sons or daughters are dying in a war, I'm not sure anyone is thinking this is a good solution for the country. Um, So he must have weakened support because of both his economic performance and the war he started with Ukraine. Yeah, comes with the territory, I suppose. Okay, Professor, uh, we are on the line, by the way, with uh, Antonio Fathas, who is Professor of Economics with uh, NCAD. Let's talk about the German government approving sweeping citizenship reforms. The proposed legislation will undergo a parliamentary debate. So what's next as far as this, this citizenship law is concerned? I mean, it feels an outsider. I'm not a German. It feels mm. that is a good idea. Okay. From an economic point of view, Germany, like many other countries, needs to be more open to immigration. Uh, the demographics are, are not going in the right direction. The population is aging. So, so they need an inflow of workers. They need an inflow of people to keep their country dynamic and growing. Mm. And what they're trying to do is trying to sort of weaken the criteria to become a German citizen. Of course, it's a difficult subject. It will generate some political debate. But I think it's, it's the right moment for Germany to move in this direction. It's a country that has been quite open to immigrants. Some of the years in the past, Germany has seen one of the biggest inflow of refugees and, and immigrants than any other country in the world. So I think with the right political leadership, I think it will go through. And I think that's good news for Germany from an economic point of view. I want to get your thoughts on potential roadblocks to this, because if you've been to, to, to Germany, it's an interesting picture when you look at immigration or, or different cultures, because that's very present in Munich, which is further down. But you move up further up into to Berlin or even the Stuttgart area, it starts to look very different. Identity is a difficult issue. And, and <laughs> fair people enough. People are going to feel very strong about it fair in enough. Germany, in the US or anywhere else in the world. What I see different today is there is an increasing understanding in many countries uh-huh. that without dealing with this demographic transition that we're seeing, we're going to suffer all of us. Okay. So I think the cost of not allowing these people to come into our countries is becoming a lot more visible to people. So even if you think this is costly, 
even if you think this is not right for me. Mm. But you also have to understand that there are some benefits for you of bringing more people into your economy. Mm. And I know it's not an easy conversation, but, but I think it's the right moment to have it. Mm. And I'm hopeful that this goes through. Yeah, it's kind of, it's not about you and me. It's more than that. Fair enough, fair enough, Professor. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about UK-India trade talks. There's been speculation the two sides may be on the verge of signing a deal. Um, What are we looking at as far as potential breakthroughs? Uh, I understand this is a free trade deal that has entered the 12th 12th round of negotiations. Yeah, I mean, these are two countries that don't truly believe in free yeah. trade. <laughs> so let's oh, yeah. that reality. <laughs> India is a country that has never been very open to free trade. Mm. They see trade as an avenue for them to grow, to become richer, okay. but they don't truly believe in free trade. They're very protective on their own industries. So it's very hard for them to, to sort of take a step forward. Now, the UK is a country that abandoned one of the most successful, if not the most successful free trade areas yeah. of the world. Uh, <laughs> another desperate politically to find someone who wants to sign a free trade agreement with them. Again, this is fine. This is politics. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy if they sign something, but I, I don't see this going anywhere that is reasonable or affecting the UK or India significantly. Well, don't tell uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak because uh, he's supposed to visit India next month for the G20 summit. Um, A a lost cause there or or, or does this maybe at least lay some kind of a groundwork? I mean, the the UK committed economic suicide with Brexit, that's my view. I know you wanted Uh, to say that. (laughs) They promised everyone that they would sign agreements with the rest of the world, which makes no sense because the trade partners are your neighbors, Europe, not India. So he has to deliver this. So yes, I understand if I was him, I would be hoping that he can find something which is reasonable, that he can sell politically to the UK citizens. Now, as an outsider, I'm not a British, I'm an economist. If you ask me about how important this is, it doesn't look like that important. All right. I've been speaking with Antonio Fathas, who is Professor of Economics at INSEAD. Professor, I appreciate your time. You take care and have a great Thursday evening. Okay, you too. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.